When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Brittany Spanos from Rolling Stone. Hey, Brittany. Hey. And we have a very special guest, AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys. What's up, AJ? Hey, hey. How you guys doing? Good. Welcome. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So you guys are, uh, you're going Vegas. <laughs> you, you have a Vegas residency starting March 1st. It's pretty overwhelming. I mean, this is the biggest show I think we've done probably since Millennium. Um, it might even be a bigger show than Millennium. Obviously, you know, Vegas, you, you kind of got to go big or go home. So uh, <laughs> we are definitely going big, hence the name of the show, Larger Than Life. Uh, this is definitely going to be a Larger Than Life show. So It's crazy to look back, though. I mean, people... You know, every little twist and turn in your life was so important to an entire generation of kids. That must be crazy to think it's about. It's true. It's true. You know, I mean, looking back, you know, there was some there were some definite perks um, that we that we talk about now in in like most of our interviews, which is there was no social media back then, so that was <laughs> kind of the upside. Like you could pretty much, I hate to say, get away with murder, but you know, you could do pretty much anything and. You know, paparazzi really never bothered us that much back in the day. Um, you know, only if you made it public knowledge that something was going on in your life, like through the media, through TRL or through MTV or maybe the Internet, there was really no outlet for, for like fans to really know what was going on in our lives personally. I mean, yes, you had the Inquirer and Star, mm. but, though, you know, those are the magazines that not necessarily are speaking, you know, scripture. But um, now with social media and everything, you know, it's 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 all instant gratification. So now you really got to be extra cautious, <laughs> whatever <laughs> you do or say, because it's going to be up on Twitter, Instagram, social camp, whatever it is. And, it, you know, so it it is really cool, though, to actually sit back and think, you know, how much our music has affected a huge generation that we still have the most loyal fans in the entire world. You know, the fact that we are a global group and that, you know, coming to Vegas, which is a, 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 a massive international hub, you know, you don't think that at first, but it really truly is. I mean, if there's any international hub in the United States, it's definitely Vegas. Mm. You know, tourists coming from all over the, the walks of life, all over the world, coming to Vegas to gamble and have fun and do this and go see shows. And now come and see your boys, you know, you know, everyone's <laughs> favorite boy band is going to be there posted up now. So it's going to be awesome to hopefully not only keep the same generation that's going to come see our shows now that have been with us from jump street, but hopefully start a whole new generation of Backstreet Boy fans. All these, you know, all of our fans now are, you know, moms, dads, doctors, lawyers, you know, teachers, they're going to bring their kids to our concerts now and hopefully start a whole new generation, you know? In the documentary, there's a moment when you're, I think, climbing a hill or something, and you're worried about your knees. How about how about <laughs> dancing? <laughs> how about dancing? How much of a physical toll does 
trying to do moves that you were doing when you were 20. Not that you're like 80, but still, I mean, <laughs> how, how does that work for you? It takes its toll here and there. I mean, I've had knee surgery on both of my knees. Ah. Um, you know, uh, I kind of compare us to being like athletes in a sense that, you know, you are putting your body through kind of the ringer every single show. You're jumping around and you're being thrown up on toasters or jumping off stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot of wear and tear. But if you if you eat healthy, if you work out, if you get sleep, there's no reason why you can't continue that that same, you know, lifestyle on stage i mean in in this show right now i think we have 21 songs and we're dancing on 17 of them (laughs) so i mean you know we're still we're showmen that's the thing is we haven't gotten to that age and and that point yet to kind of just sit on stools and sing i mean can we do that yes is it nice sometimes to do that yes but we're a bunch of hams. We're showmen, and we and we we always want to put on the best show possible for all of our fans. And this is this couldn't be a better show that represents the last twenty four years. I mean, we are covering every single base. There's so many surprises. I can't give anything away. It's it truly is going to blow people away. Like I I I kind of wish it was March first already. You there, do you ever want to totally? Do you ever? Except then you'd get to miss the uh, the fourteen days of uh, nonstop rehearsals. That's why you wish it was. This <laughs> it was is also true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, but do you, are there deep cuts that you like to slip in, or you would like to slip in, or, or does it is it kind of you really just have to deliver the hits because there's so many of them? I mean, you know, we were trying to. That was the biggest challenge I think of putting this show together was really the set list. Obviously. You know, the whole premise of the show is based on nostalgia. If you look at Britney's show, J-Lo's show, and Celine, it's all nostalgia. I mean, that's what you're coming to see. You're coming to see the hits. But there's also a lot of fan favorites for us. There's also a lot of band favorites that we sprinkled in there. You know, whether it's in a medley form or it's a full song, there's just, there's, it's a good problem to have. There's just, there's just too many songs, <laughs> you know? So uh, trying to make a healthy balance where the group is happy and we feel our fans will be happy, but we're also giving all of our biggest hits to the masses was a bit of a challenge, but I think we've got the perfect set list. The show flows effortlessly. And I really think people are going to just be able to just for almost two hours, go on this epic journey with us and relive their youth and relive their childhood and, and, and go back to the best moments of their life, whether it was, high school or your first crush or your, your wedding day or the day your kid was born or just going out with your girlfriends and going to see your, you know, favorite group, whatever feeling it is. I think we're definitely covering all the bases on this show. There was a time when you were very uncomfortable with the term boy band and then you turned around and, and really decided to embrace it and kind of said, we'll be not only we're a boy band, but we, we might still be doing this in 20 years when we're 60 and, and that we'd be happy to be doing it. What, what did it take to, hit that new place of acceptance? I think just, you know, after all said and done, I mean, it, we always said it was about the music first. And we, we've, we've always said in like interviews that we're a vocal harmony group, which is truly what that's, that's what we would call it here stateside. First time we ever heard the word boy band was over in Europe and we didn't know what the heck that was. <laughs> but you knew you didn't like it. Kind of, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> well, when the interviewer kind of broke it down and it, and kind of, it, 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 you know, explain it to us that's still not us it was like oh it's a put together group of five pretty faces one or two of the guys really sing the rest don't they're singing and dancing and it's like well all five of us sing Mm. 
I, I think we're good looking guys and <laughs> we're dancing and we're moving around and, you know, but the one thing that we had that a lot of the groups in Europe at that time didn't have is we could sing a cappella at the drop of a hat. So, you know, that was the one thing that blew everybody away overseas. And that's still something that we truly pride ourselves on. Um, but I mean, you know, you kind of have to just accept things from time to time. Like if you want to call us a boy band, that's fine. <laughs> We're, we're the longest lasting boy band in boy band history. I mean, 24 years this year, call us whatever you want. You know, it doesn't matter to us anymore. You know, just give us a call. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, if you want to call us a boy band or a man band, whatever the heck you want to call us, <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, can you tell me about the experience of when you guys debuted? I know that you first broke in Europe before you broke in America. And at the time in American culture, it was like Nirvana and Green Day and all these sort of this like anti kind of 80s hamminess, anti pop sort of movement. Like what was the experience of breaking through with pop music in American culture um, after having the success in Europe? I know it's kind of like a little bit of a stumble at first. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we had released our first single all over the world, which we got it going on. And it peaked here in the U S I think at like 60 something on the dance charts and it never moved. Um, because again, like what you just said, we were competing against Nirvana, green day, Snoop, Dre. It was, you know, biggie. It was a whole nother world, but Europe just opened the floodgates for us. Um, but I would really attribute our success coming shortly after there, not shortly, but after that, due to the Spice Girls and Hanson, yeah. because mm -hmm. the Spice Girls really kind of broke here before us with Wannabe, and then Hanson had, you know, Mbop, and that just kind of opened up the floodgates for pop. And then all of a sudden, we decided to kind of re-release our first single and go with a different song, which was Quit Playing Games, and MTV just didn't really want to play the video at first. They were like, oh, these cheesy guys, they're wet, and they're in the rain, they're taking their shirts <laughs> off what the hell is this all about? And then all of a sudden it just something, something in the U S clicked. Um, but I would say for, for us, it kind of came through France and then it trailed over into like Montreal and Quebec. And then it leaked down into New York, upstate New York. And then Manhattan Z 100 was one of the first U S stations to really play us. And that's how it really kind of flooded into the U S and then it was just like this tidal wave. Um, and shortly after that, TRL was born, you know, where they had to have a way to have fans be able to see their, you know, top favorite videos and then have a way to retire these videos, you know, and that's when this whole movement started and that's when TRL happened. And then now you've got us and NSYNC and Britney and Christina and Ricky Martin and Still Hanson and Spice Girls. And this whole movement just dominated for, I'd say, a good 10 years. I remember nothing was more confusing for people who, who hadn't heard of you yet when Backstreet's Back came out. Because it's like, back from where? <laughs> I've never seen yeah, these right, guys. Yeah, right, exactly. Where'd you guys come from? Where'd you go? <laughs> was yeah, there any discussion? Was, yeah. yeah. Was that discussed at all before that thing came out? Uh, no, because, you know, in our mind, we always refer back to what we call the Red Album, which was our very first album right. ever, which was, which was only released in Europe <laughs> and everywhere but the U.S. And, you know... Uh, Backstreet's Back, when that came out, that was our second album globally, but first album really in the U.S. So you're right. It was like, Backstreet's Back, we're, we don't even know where you went. Who are you? Like, what's going on? But, you know, it was just one of those things where we had to balance between records because we, 
we already had one full album cycle everywhere else in the world except for the U.S. So, you know, I don't think we, we, we actually thought of it in that perspective, in that moment. But now looking back, it is kind of funny if you, if you, if you really think about it. Like, actually, he's back from where? We, <laughs> <laughs> we never went anywhere. So when you guys met Max Martin, and for people who don't know, Max Martin is, you know, one of the great, great, great pop songwriters of the last 25 years, probably ever, and probably also one of the greatest songwriters ever. Um, and he wrote many of the Backstreet, or co-wrote many of the great, great Backstreet Boys songs uh, and, and kind of broke through to the U.S. with you guys. He was 18 years old when you met him? Uh, he was, I think he was 20, okay. actually, uh, which is still super young. Um, him and Kevin are the same age. So I think he was, or my, he might have been like 22, actually, okay. when we met him. Because uh, Kevin was 21 when we started. Um, so yeah, I think he was like 22, 23 when we met Max, which is still super young. You know, he looked like Lars from freaking Metallica the first time we met him. His <laughs> hair was down to his butt, you know, and he was this quirky guy in a black t-shirt and black jeans and, you know, chucks and spoke pretty good English and <laughs> was being mentored by the all great and powerful Dennis Pop, God mm. rest his soul. Um, you know, we got thrown over to, you know, Sweden. It was our first time as a group ever leaving the country uh kevin had actually been to europe once before with his wife but for the rest of us it was our first time getting a passport and going over to you know anywhere outside of the u.s and to meet rami and dennis and christian and max and andreas and herbie it was a whole new world for us you know we didn't know what to expect and it just kind of once we sang the first song which i believe was we got it going on wow that's when we kind of found what we call the backstreet sound. You know, um, somebody just said in a recent interview, one of the writers and producers that works with Florida Georgia line that, you know, backstreet boys can sing and sound like whatever when they're singing separately. But when they sing as a group, it's undeniable. You know, that is backstreet boys. Like we just have a sound that, you know, is undeniable. You know, you might hear Nick on a verse or me on a verse, and maybe you're not sure. Wait, is that Backstreet Boys? I'm not sure. The minute that chorus comes in, yep, that's definitely Backstreet Boys. That sound was created with us and Max and, and Dennis and all of those guys. Like, the whole, like, <laughs> that whole thing, that was that was Max and Dennis. And that's, that's how Backstreet got their sound. Born in Sweden. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey, it's Kate. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, it's funny when you look at you uh, in the very early days when the group was formed, it, I don't think visually or anything, it was clear like, oh, this is the quote unquote bad boy of the group. You just were, you just were another sweet kid. Uh, when did the sort of the quote unquote rebel bad boy, both kind of persona externally and also in your actual behavior, how did that kind of come to be part of your, your, your role in the group, both externally and externally, internally and externally? You know, it's funny. Um, I think it kind of started actually in, I'd say probably, man, I'd say probably it started in when we did the, we got it going on video. Um, you know, we were shooting it. It was the hottest day in Florida. I think record history, like it was like 104 degrees and we're in leather and denim outfits covered. It was miserable. (laughs) But right, right as I'm walking out of the trailer, Johnny Wright looked at me and he's like, he looked at all five of us and he said, something's missing. And he took the sunglasses off of his face and gave them to me and said, that's it. That's your, that's your thing. That's your like <laughs> signature thing. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. And it's true. It ended up becoming kind of my trademark, which is the sunglasses. And I always go back to that Tom Hanks film. Um, uh, why now I'm drawing a blank that thing you do. Right. And, uh, you know, Oh my God, it's the same thing. Yeah. His name was shades, you know, and that's not, that wasn't my name, but it was that same thing. Like he needed something, you know? Um, but I don't know. I think for me, I've, I've, I've kind of always been a little bit outside the box, um, since I was a kid. I mean, I've, I've always strived to be different, um, and unique and kind of a, a kooky, crazy kid. You know, I don't like, to me, normal is boring. Um, you know, I don't, obviously I kind of got caught up a little too much with the abnormal side of me, but, um, (laughs) you know, I think for me, it, it, every group, I guess, kind of has to have the cute one, the old one, the sexy one, (laughs) the funny one and the bad boy. There's, there, there is a formula. Um, you know, if you go back to new edition, you had Bobby, if you go to new kids, you had Donnie. Um, and if you go to backstreet, you had me, um, you know, I didn't know at first that it was going to, that I was going to become the bad boy or be kind of typecast as that per se, but, um, not going to lie. It was fun (laughs) in the beginning, uh, you know, to kind of just have a carefree life. That's just kind of how I still live. My life is very carefree, you know, being a father now, like I kind of get to relive my youth through my daughter's eyes and it's just so much fun. I mean, I'm still a big kid. I mean, I just had to retire. My wife made me retire. I had every single uh, Nerf gun ever, ever made <laughs> locked away in my closet just for like having Nerf wars at my house. And my wife's like, okay, we need to make space for the new baby. You're going to have to get, you're going to have to get rid of all this. So like, I'm just always going to be that way. That's just me, you know, was part of this sort of fun, but also the danger the fact that, hey, my role here, I'm supposed to be the bad boy, might as well snort this coke. Like, was, was, do you know what I mean? Was, was yeah. it, was it, yeah, okay. 
I mean, you know, it, it's it's weird because I was so anti everything. I was anti smoking, anti drinking, anti drugs, anti tattoos, and look at me now. <laughs> um, you know, I I kind of just fell into I would say kind of just losing myself because when you're when you're when you're in a group, obviously we are always trying to be uh, a team, a unit, and support one another. But at the same time, when you're in a group and you and, and you have the massive success that we had at the rate that we did starting from 99 on, um, you do lose yourself. And I definitely, you know, I started to kind of surround myself with what I call hanger honors or leeches Mm. people that were yes men that would tell me and do whatever I, you know, asked never really taking my feelings or my well-being into consideration. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. So you know, if I'm at a party and somebody offers me blow, I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, let's do it. Mm. You know, never, never thinking that it was going to become what it became. You know, I still to this day, and I've been to treatment three times. I don't believe in in addictive personalities. I mm. believe in choice. I I believe everyone has a choice to drink a beer or drink a six pack. You know, in that moment, you have that choice. Now, whatever choice you choose that's on you and you have to hold yourself accountable. And I never did until I finally figured it out per se. Um, you know, I'm very happy being sober now and I'm, and I'm very happy, you know, knowing that I can still be the bad boy, but controlled. Like, you know, I still want to have fun. I still want to be crazy because that's me. But now I have other things to think about. I have to be responsible as a father, as a husband, as a bandmate and as I don't want to say an idol, but as, but as a mentor per se, or somebody that people a role look model. Up to. Yeah. Our fan, fans want their kids to be able to look up to their favorite band and not see a sloppy drunk, you know, or a freaking coked out guy. Like that's, that's not who their kids want to go see in concert <laughs> or meet at a meet and greet. You know, if I reek like a freaking bottle, <laughs> you know, so I think it's, now it's it's being able to to turn the negative into a in, in, into a positive and try to be more forthcoming as opposed to introverted. You know, I mean, that was my biggest issue was being very insecure. You know, having to live up to this bad boy image was was really hard. You know, mm. it's it's not as it's not, not as easy as you think to live up to being a bad boy. You know, I mean, you really if if you're gonna do it, you're good. Then then you then you got to go all in. You know, and I went all in. So, and what was that first moment when you realized that the bad boy image wasn't worth it, and when it started to go downhill, and you decided to seek treatment and find help for yourself? Um, you know, it was during it was during Black and Blue. Um, you know, I was I I knew that it was bad when I started drinking on stage, um, and not showing up to rehearsals. So not wait, you were, dr- you were drinking on stage during shows. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, right before I went into treatment in, in 2001, um, the last three songs of our set, uh, right before the call, we had this little skit and I would literally like, you would hear the phone ring and I would be like walking to our band. Hey, are you calling me? Are you calling me? <laughs> and I would go to my percussionist and there would be a red Dixie cup filled with Jack. But, you know, nobody knows. They think it's water, and I would just chug it and then finish the show. Damn. That's when I knew shit was getting really bad. Like, okay, now I'm bringing it, it, you know, physically into my job. Um, Not showing up for things, not being responsible, 
it definitely was affecting my voice, my my way of thinking, my way of being. And, you know, it was it was starting to obviously wear on the fellas. And they actually hired a therapist to come on the road that I never took advantage of. She would see me every day and say, hey, do you want to sit and talk? And I, I would blow her off and say, sure, we'll talk later. And then I would never talk um, because I, don't, I, I didn't think I was truly ready yet. And when Kevin and I had that moment um, in, my, in my hotel room in Boston and we exchanged some pretty gnarly words, that was the moment that I needed for me to go, wow, okay, I need to get help. Like this is really, really bad. And that was after um, there was a show. I, I think the words "coke coma" coma were used. That you were you just like did not were not able to do well, one show. Yeah, we were supposed. Well, we had a day off the very next day after the show, and the night before we had all agreed as a group before the show on our day off to go for one hour and sing the national anthem at a major league baseball game. And I had said sure. I partied that night. I decided I didn't want to do it the very next day. And my tour manager was like, well, you better talk about this with the fellas. And I just said, screw it. I'm not doing it. I'm tired. I didn't sleep. I want to rest. Kevin was not having it and broke into my room. We exchanged words. I said I was done. I was going to quit and that I didn't need this. And you guys are not being supportive and you're blowing it out of proportion, yada, yada. And my therapist basically made a phone call to a treatment center in Tucson, Arizona, and said, I think you should go straight, what they call door to door. So I literally left the very next morning uh, and went straight to Arizona and never went home, never got a chance to see my you know, family or anything. I just went straight to rehab and it was the best thing I could have ever done. Um, it saved, it saved, it's, it, it truly saved my life. I think had I kept going, I pretty much could guarantee either I would be in jail or I would be dead or I would have killed somebody else in a drunk driving accident. Who knows? You know, and it's it's scary to think that way. But that is the harsh reality, you know? Yeah, well, thank God you did. I, I mean, it, as I was saying, it, it was from my perspective, you know, it's it's so interesting to hear it from your perspective because there I was on the 29th floor of uh, 1515 Broadway at MTV and, you know, it, it really was, uh, again, like such a, such a big deal, such a, uh, th- when, when, when this happened and, and the, the other guys, I don't know if you've ever went back and watched the interview, but they did an interview with John, with my friend John Norris, um, where they're just weeping because, I, I mean, it literally felt like they were holding a funeral for you looking back. I mean, I think I think maybe they really thought maybe that was it for you in the group. Do you think that I, they- I honestly to this day, I've never watched it and I won't um, it's just for personal reasons. And it's just kind of like I don't I know what I was going through in that moment. So I don't need to be reminded and I don't want to have to kind of go back into a dark place in my head. But, um, you know, it was it was a pretty emotional day. I mean, I obviously heard about it. I saw clips here and there, but it just shows you that why we're still together. It's little things, not, I I shouldn't say little, but it's things like that, that prove that groups like us can stand the test of time through communication, through honesty. Our fans are the smartest fans in the entire world. They know where we're staying before we do half the time. So, like, we couldn't go and just lie, you know? Like, knowing our fans, they would have found out regardless. So let's just be honest. Let's just keep it real. 
And look at how much love and support to this day. I still get fans saying how proud they are of me. And, you know, thank you for getting me through my problems. You're a huge inspiration. We know it's a daily struggle. And of course, have I stayed sober the past 16 years? No. Mm. Um, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a constant struggle, but I'm sober now and I have been for, for, for quite a while, but it's a daily struggle and it's going to be that way the rest of my life. You know, um, if there's nothing I can do about that except do the work, have the support of my loving family and my bandmates and my true friends and not care about what people think. You know, I'm human. We're all human. If I relapse, okay, guess what? I'm human. I pick up myself and I move on the very next day and I start over. Um, but when I go and do things now, I have a different point of view and I have different priorities in my life now. So now I think, okay, before I'm going to pick up that drink, mm. I'm going to think about my daughter. I'm going to think about my wife. I'm going to think about my family. And what is this drink really going to give me right now? What is it going to give me? Absolutely nothing. Maybe a moment of instant gratification and then what? So now I look at things through, like I said, through my, through my daughter's eyes and now about to be a father again, you know, Congratulations, by the way. Great, yeah. thank you. Thank you. There's just too much great stuff going on in, in my life, in the group's life right now to go backwards. You know, it's only moving forward now. What was it like to rejoin after after that? Because it did seem like I I really got a sense from them that that they weren't quite sure if you, they were going to be able to like reintegrate you or whether things were broken at that point. Well, I mean, when when I went on Oprah with my mom and the guy showed up to surprise me, um, that's when I knew that it was like okay, <laughs> they accept me with all my faults as I accept them with theirs you know, and they really do love me. Like we are family. We are brothers. We fight like brothers. We laugh like brothers. We have fun like brothers and we're always there for each other. Um, you know, whether it's Brian's open heart surgery or Howie losing his sister or Nick's family or my rehab or, you know, Kevin losing his father, whatever it is, we have always tried to be there as much as we can for each other. And that speaks volumes to me. I mean, this is like a, like, a, like, like being married. You've got to keep it real and you've got to be supportive and be selfless and not, and, and not, you know, selfish. Um, and I think we truly do lead a, a very selfless life as a, as a group and as a unit. And that's why, you know, I had, had, had they not shown up to Oprah, what I've ever known? No, but that might've made me feel a little bit timid coming back. Like, are they going to be watching me like a hawk? Are they really going to trust me now? And they did. And they opened the doors back up and they opened their arms. And that's when I was like, oh, wow, you know what? This is freaking love, man. Like this is, this is brotherly love. And I feel confident. They're making me feel good about myself. I feel good about myself now. And that's what's most important. Um, Brittany, you had another question for AJ. Yeah. Um, I know that last year with the death of Lou Pearlman, I'm wondering how that has affected you guys going forward. I know that the relationship with him was very <laughs> strained and I mean, obviously there's as much to thank as there is much as much to hate him for. Um but course, I mean coming course. back and doing this um, Vegas residency, well, yeah. You know, it's it's uh it's bittersweet. Um, you know, when when we were shooting our documentary, one of the key things that we strive to try to do that we almost almost 
had come into fruition was us to actually go to the actual prison and sit with Lou as a group and, and ask the, the all wondering question of why, um, which sadly never came into fruition. Um, you know, but that's the only frustrating part for me now, um, that will never get answered is why, why did you do, why did you break up a happy home? Why did you become the, you know, greedy person that you did knowing that we created this thing together and we were a family and we could have seen this up until now and continued to be happy and successful and everybody wins. Do you, um, do you think he you was, know, do you think he was a, a, a predator as, as some people believe? You know, it's funny. I, I'm the kind of person that unless I see it with my own two eyes, I don't believe it. Um, even if I read it on CNN, you know, it's like with the way the media is nowadays with the way people twist words, twist photos, twist everything. Um, you know, you can go back to the allegations against Michael Jackson. Mm. I, you know, I sadly, so sadly never had a chance to meet the King of pop. Nick did. He's the only one of us that did. Um, because Aaron used to hang out a lot with Michael and, you know, I, I don't, in, in, in my heart of hearts, I don't think Michael had a, had that kind of bone in his body. Um, and I never saw Lou act any way like that around us, towards us, towards anyone. Um, he was big Papa. He was like a father figure to some of us. Um, he was never inappropriate around me or any of us. He was just Lou, you know, always trying to make the environment fun. Um, always trying to push the envelope, always trying to get us the best possible anything. Um, you know, so again, if I saw it with my own two eyes, then I would have a different opinion. But since I never did, I don't believe anything that I hear. Have you ever discussed it with the other guys, that issue? I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about it when it, when it came out, the allegations came out. We obviously talked about it and we all kind of rolled our eyes. Like, really? Like if it isn't bad enough that he did what he did now, they're going to throw this on top of it. You know, again, it's the media. I think that, you know, it takes one person to say something and it's a, and it becomes a flash flood. And I don't know who that person was that started it, but uh, again, no one's ever going to know, you know, no one's ever going to know about Michael. No one's ever going to know about Lou. No one's ever going to know about anyone that had allegations like that towards them, unless there is, you know, absolute proof. So it's just one of the many wondering questions that will never be answered, sadly. Right. And as you said, you have enough other problems with Lou. I mean, there's also, I mean, it is very funny in the documentary, like you guys, there they were, there you were, and you see this entire other boy band rehearsing, <laughs> sorry, excuse me, but you know, vocal group, but they, they're more of a boy band, frankly, than you guys, if I had to say. I think you are generally, genuinely more of a vocal group. I always thought that. And then in sync, I think even they would admit we're more of a classic boy band but anyway you see this other group <laughs> rehearsing and you're like Lou what the hell is this that must have been a quite a moment well you know it was it, in that moment we were told like you know from everyone's side that okay well we have this other group but don't worry you know since we're managing them since we're controlling them we won't let them we we can then keep them out of your way <laughs> but then what started happening was we were like nonstop at that point for almost nine years straight. So we were burnt out. So every time we said no to something, NSYNC was there. Um, 
and they were new and fresh in the scene, so they didn't know any better. So I don't blame them. Um, you know, and, and we're all friends. So it's like, it was just one of those don't shit where you eat kind of situations. And it, and that's exactly what ended up happening, you know? (laughs) And then next thing, you know, not only is it our, 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 you know, team working with them, but now our label signs them. And now it's, it's just, everything was all (laughs) too close to home. It's such a nightmare when you think about it. It's so crazy. Well, I mean, I kind of always look at us like, sadly, like the guinea pigs, um, because we were the first, not the first boy band, because there obviously were many boy bands before us, if you want to call them that. The New Editions, Shy, Boys to Men, New Kids, you know, even back to like the Jackson 5. But in the in the era of the word boy band, you know, we were kind of the first. So... Yeah. Whatever mistakes that we learned or that we went through, other groups that were following obviously learned from our mistakes and go, okay, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to sign that kind of deal, yada, yada, yada. So, but again, we have no remorse. We have no regrets. Have we not gone through the highs and lows that we did? I don't think we'd still be here today. I think it made us stronger. I think it made us tighter as a unit. It made us smarter businessmen. You know, back in the day, all we really cared about was getting on stage and and doing our thing. And when business starts to go south, you know, you you really, this is our freaking livelihood. This is how we take care of our families. So we needed to get more involved with the business side. And I personally hate the business side. I'm a creative guy. I just want to do music and perform and make people happy. But now being older and having to be a father, a husband, and a businessman, I do want to know where my money's going. I do want to know how much we spend and, and how, how we can make things work better for us as a group financially so we can continue this amazing journey for 25 more years. Um, <laughs> you know, back then, we had people doing that for us when now looking back, sadly, we're taking advantage of us. But we didn't know. Mm. We're young. Everything was kind of a whirlwind. And, you know, people said yes to us for everything. And it was up until the point that Brian filed the lawsuit because he opened his eyes that, okay, wait, something isn't really right. You know, we've been touring massively selling out stadiums and we only have X amount of dollars in our checking account. That doesn't make any sense. It's such a classic music. It's such a classic music business moment. It's like, wait, where the hell is our money? Right. It's just absolutely. And I think one of the, one of the best bits of advice we ever got was from one of the, one of the temptations we (laughs) opened up at this festival for, for the uh, temptations years ago. And one of them told us guys, you know, this is show business. So just always, think in the back of your mind while you're doing your show your business could be walking out the back door (laughs) and that's one of the best bits of advice we could have ever gotten so now we're very very in tune with what's going on completely around us Mm -hmm. and when you guys went on hiatus and when NSYNC broke up I mean that was really the beginning of or it was the end of this huge pop monoculture that existed in the late 90s early 2000s um and there have been a few like pop groups since and I think One Direction may be the one that's come the closest to where you guys were and the amount of success you had um but do you think there could ever be that level of like a pop group a boy band being that big ever again um I mean I'll never say never but I think there is something to say with it's a phenomenon 
what happened with us is truly a phenomenon. Um, you know, when there are phenomenons that happen in life, in culture, in, you know, in our generation, I don't believe that they ever happen a second time. Lightning doesn't necessarily strike twice in this business. There will always be, like, like you just said, there will be copycats, there will be mimics, there will be things that get very close but never truly achieved that moment in time that was a phenomenon. Um, you know, I feel like we have been on this, this steady climb um, since, since even Kevin left. We've never stopped touring. We've never stopped making albums. Um, we're about to go back in and make our 10th album. We're about to do a Vegas. And it's like, you know, radio now is starting to come back around. Everything is starting to come back around full circle. And I feel like we're right on the cusp of kind of having that, that phenomenon almost happening again, um, obviously on a much different level, but still that, that moment of greatness, um, you know, because we've, we've, we've strived to persevere through all of our adversities, through all of people's doubts, the media saying, you know, that we're done, radio, not, not you know, not playing us in the past 13 years, um, you know, MTV not playing us necessarily, you know, it's just... Well, they don't play anything okay. anymore, so you don't have to worry about them <laughs> right. anymore. Well, yeah. I know, they, I know. They, play, <laughs> they literally play reruns of Friends now, but go on, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Which is not bad, I'm the biggest Friends fan in the world. Not, not Friends. Um, but I feel like there's about to be this huge resurgence, this huge explosion again, and again, I owe that personally to our fans and to the and to the music. Our music has been able to transcend generations, and that speaks volumes to me, man. I mean, like, that's just something that, 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 that doesn't happen every day. That's why I say this is truly a phenomenon. Like, the Beatles was a phenomenon. There will never be another Beatles. I don't care how many groups of four guys that play songs, there will never be another Beatles. There will never be another Prince. There will never be another David Bowie. And I don't believe there will ever be another Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Probably not. So, what, I was, did you watch the Grammys? What did you think of the whole? Uh, everyone, there's a, there's a real feeling that Beyonce might have been robbed of uh, album of the year. Did did you agree? Did you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know what? When you look at artists across the board, you you can't necessarily look at the the media aspect or the you know glamour aspect or the all the other things. But if you look at just music and just song for song and you look at the the plethora of writers and producers that were standing up there with Adele Ryan Tedder Shellback Max Martin the three of the best of the best of the best and on top of that Adele who's an amazingly talented singer songwriter um I don't feel that that anybody got robbed I think who won is who should have won um, do I think Beyonce's record was not good? No, I think it was fantastic. I think she's beyond talented. She's such a creative trendsetter. She is so, like, past her years, I feel, as far as, like, her create her creativity and her, her you know, power of her, of her words and how she inspires people. But I'm sorry. If I, if I had to choose between the two, I would have picked Adele as well. Um, I think it's sad that because of the America that we are right now, that 
people are saying it's a racial thing. It's this. I'm like, it's got nothing. To, let's let's stop with all the racism, people. Like, it's got nothing to do with race. You know, we are all equal across the board. You know, enough with all this segregation and, you know, this, that, and the other. Music is for everyone. Music is for every culture, every race, every age, every genre. Um, you know, and in this moment, the better album won. It doesn't mean that she's more talented than Beyonce or vice versa. I mean, you saw Adele pretty much her whole acceptance speech was honoring Beyonce, you know? So there's that mutual respect out there because they're both equally as talented. I mean, they're both amazing icons, you know? So All right. I don't know. I think, uh, I think the Grammys this year were, were very interesting to say the least. Fair enough. I mean, it's, you guys drew, uh, you know, the the vocal group sound that you guys have itself owes so much to to black artists, of course, right? I mean, we grew up with being huge fans of of of, of R and B and soul, Prince, Stevie Wonder, Boys to Men, Shy, um, The Temptations, The Shy Lights. I mean, doo wop groups. That was that was like R and B. Like that's harmonies. That's what we tried to you know emulate when we got together um you know one of the first songs we ever attempted to pick out the harmonies to the minute we got the actual final five the first night that we met brian and we picked out it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday and that was one of the many songs that we would sing at all these label meetings to try to get a deal you know we would sing that or shy or color mm. me bad you know these are groups that we looked up to and I'd say 95% of them were urban black artists, um, you know, but we just love music and we love R&B and pop and all kinds of music. I mean, hell, we have a song right now that's on country radio hmm. with Florida Georgia Line. I mean, we love music all across the board. Um, did the Backstreet Boys, since you guys and Destiny's Child were kind of coming up at the same time, did you guys have a relationship or encounter each other at all um, kind of at these um, moments? Yeah, uh, I, I kind of believe, I, I don't remember, and, and I might be being misquoted on, on saying this, but I believe that they either opened up for us or they did a show with us once. Um, when, I mean, there's a photo of, 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 of all nine of us together, and they were <laughs> super young. We were super young um, back in, like, like, I think 2000 maybe or 99. Um, but, I mean, you know, those girls are still one of the, my favorite girl groups in like the urban market besides like en vogue or tlc i'd say destiny's child man we're just on another level um i really wish that they would do something together again um i think it would be it would be huge we'd have to figure out um, which which lineup first but yeah but yeah <laughs> well yes of course there's so many versions and variations of that group but uh yeah so I want there was you told a funny story which which is you you once asked your wife how many people she'd been with and of course she then responded and and asked you the same question and you're like I am not answering that question because I guess. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you Yeah, you know, I I used to be really really insecure with my relationships and for some reason I would it was that kind of insecurity thing back in the day where I would try to torture myself and no, no more information than I should know about my relationship just to find a, a reason to like not be committed and like back off and like not have to really be in a serious relationship. So if I had these pictures of my girl's ex's P 
penis size or how many times they had sex, then I would be able to kind of distance myself, which is absolutely the stupidest thing anybody can do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like after we went through the less than a handful of relationships that my wife had been in, and then she was like, all right, well, I guess it's fair I can ask you the same thing. I was like, oh, hell no. You are not asking me that. Uh, because you know, I'm, she goes, you know what? I don't want to know. I'm sure I can imagine. It's pretty disgusting, but I still love you. And da, 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 da. So yeah, thank God she's the most amazing woman that she is and that she doesn't look at that like, you know, judges me based on many years of whoring myself out before I ever met my amazing wife, you know. Good, gro- yes, so uh, black and blue tour groupies or whatever we're talking about here. But yeah. <laughs> the- <laughs> Many a tour groupies. I wouldn't even just pick one tour. It's been going on since I was probably 17, bro. <laughs> I, 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 well, you know, I, I promised we, we we promised uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll with the with with, with the Backstreet Boys, and I guess we got there. Um, AJ, it sounds like this. Uh, it sounds like the Vegas residency is going to be awesome. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen you guys since the Black and Blue tour. Uh, I was, uh, but I just I just watched the tour, man. I wasn't, and uh, but but thanks so much uh, for being here and uh, hopefully we'll talk to My you soon pleasure. thanks for having me and you guys better come out and see us in vegas for it's, sure it's a day this has been rolling stone music now tune in next week at 1 p.m on sirius xm's volume or download us as a podcast at rollingstone.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.